here, if you would open your Bibles to Luke chapter 24, because we're starting a series on Acts. Thought that'd be, thought that'd be funny, or than it was. And uh, so we're starting a new series coming out of the year of the Lord's favor, which was kind of on the, the gospel of Luke just a little bit on the mission of Jesus. This one's going to be a little bit more on the mission of the church, and we're going to be looking at a few messages from Acts, especially where they are crossing uh, boundaries. So it's power from on high, and, and really a subtitle would almost be for crossing boundaries, because that's what the church is called to do. That's what, that's what Jesus does. That's what the church is called to do as well. So let's just read some scripture together. We're going to read quite a few verses here. Um, last week we touched on the fact that Jesus spoke with the disciples on the road to Emmaus. And uh, so then after that, then he appears to all the disciples together. And this is toward the end of that in verse chapter 24, verse 45. He said, it says, Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. And he told them, this is what is written, the Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I'm going to send you what my Father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. And when he had led them out to the vicinity of of Bethany, He lifted up his hands and he blessed them. While he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up into heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And they stayed continually at the temple, praising God. So, again, like I was saying, that's kind of volume volume one of Luke. But Luke was really cool because he got two pretty major contributions into the Bible, which is Luke volume two, which is Acts, the Acts of the Apostles. So turn over go through the Gospel of John, over to Acts, and you've got Luke picking up the story again, basically right there at the same spot, telling a little bit, uh, uh, a little bit more detail about uh, that particular interaction. He starts off and he says, In my former book, the Gospel of Luke, in my former book, Theophilus, which means God-lover, lover of God, something like that, could be a person, could be a, in general, God-lovers. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up into heaven, after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he showed himself to these men and gave many convincing signs, uh, proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke to them about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, Do not leave Jerusalem. But wait for the gift my father promised, which you heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father is set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. After he had said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. And they were looking intently up in the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking in the, into the sky? This same Jesus, who has been taken from you into heaven, will come back in the same way you have seen him go 
into heaven. Father, we ask in the name of Jesus, bless the reading of your word. Open our hearts and minds. Change us, shape us, and transform us into the very image of Jesus. Amen. Okay. Amen. Um, everybody's checking their phones now. Um, so, you've got this scene. Jesus is saying, hey, the Holy Spirit's coming. And if you, the timeline, just kind of get the days right on this. So Jesus is raised from the dead. He walks on the earth for 40 days. He, Luke tells us that. For 40 days, he did that. Then he's ascended. And so they wait, wait, wait for a few days. And the Holy Spirit's going to come. And it's 10 days. We know that because Pentecost is 50 days after the resurrection. So he, it's 10 days. They're praying. They're seeking God. Power from on high is coming. We don't know what that is. You know, they, they don't know what all that's going to mean or be. But think about, that power from on high does come. And the Holy Spirit power does come. Think about what all happens in that, that, that pouring out of that Spirit. So, the, the Holy Spirit. So, it's gifts are given. You know, spiritual gifts are given for the purpose of sharing Jesus and building up the church. There's miracles and there's signs and there's wonders. Uh, the fruit of the Spirit, all of a sudden they have a, a, a capacity because in the giving of the Spirit, God dwells with them intimately. Intimately. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, living in us by the Spirit. You know, and, and so there's this filling that happens, but there's also this realization that it's not just fill me, it's fill me, but I'm, I'm living in God. God is... It's, it's in Him that I live and move and have my being. And, and one of the things that happens, one of the huge things that happens in the pouring out of the Spirit is empowerment and wisdom and courage for crossing boundaries, for going from where we are to where we are called to go. Okay, so that's, that's a huge, huge piece. You know, so we're going to talk about that as, a, as who we are as the church, but before we can get to that, crossing Boundaries as a church, we have to talk about the greatest boundary that was crossed of all, and that was God coming to man, right? The greatest boundary of all. We could never do this. We could never engineer it. We couldn't come up with what needed to happen to make things right. But God comes to us while we're in darkness, while we're sinners, while we're enemies. God comes to us to make things right. It's awesome. These messages that I'm sharing these next few weeks are apostolic in nature. And when you say apostolic, you know, depending on what kind of tradition you grew up in, it, it may be something positive, it may be, I don't even know what that means, or, you know, like, there's 12 apostles, how can something still be apostolic? Well, apostolic, the word literally, apostolos, means sent one, means somebody that's sent to do something. So there's lots of apostolic types of ministry, where people are sent to do stuff. But you know what happened? Um, and, and basically they go, they lay foundation, they establish things, they get things going from scratch, hand things off to people, that kind of stuff. That's what's going on in apostolic ministry. Does that make sense? So apostolic ministry. One of the things that happened in the, has happened in the last 30 years or so, 35 years, let's say, um, is a renewal in the church, and I mean around the globe, a renewal in the church of an appreciation for the five-fold ministries that are described in Ephesians 4. Apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, and teacher. And that's a big deal. So all around the globe, the church has been going, wait a minute, 
you know, and not all the traditions, but a lot of the traditions have been going, wait a minute, we've been missing out on something. You know, we've been missing out on these two huge pieces, the, the apostolic and the prophetic ministry of the church. And so, and a lot of that has to do in the West, especially with an anti-supernatural bias. If it's supernatural, then it can't be real. It's only, you know, naturalistic, scientific, rationalism, all that kind of stuff is the dominating, prevailing worldview. And so, what happens in this milieu, in this, in this environment, where there's no apostolic or no prophetic, is the church has been dominated, they've minimized these, and have been dominated by... Evangelist, pastor, teacher. So you've got lots of churches in the West, especially, very concerned about getting people to go to heaven when they die. So preaching an evangelistic message that people can go to heaven through Jesus Christ, great, it's awesome. And, and then more of a pastor-teacher thing then is they get saved, they're going to heaven when they die, and they gather in classrooms to learn stuff. And that's, that's just like the dominating kind of thing. So... What's going on right now in the renaissance, in the renewal of grabbing a hold of the apostolic and the prophetic ministry is that church planting is like wildfire around the globe. The church in the last 35 years has exploded like never before in the history of the church. I mean, movements, church planting, people, tens of thousands of Muslims, I mean, in our own movement. 60,000 baptized Muslim background believers. You know, and all these streams, they're being persecuted right now. All that stuff's happening. Five mainstreams in the Middle East. That's not like, that's history book stuff. I've read tons of, tons of missionary history books that don't have those kind of stories in them. It's awesome what's happening right now. I mean, we're living in these days, and it's a good emphasis because Jesus is the Apostle. Hebrews 3.1. He's the chief apostle and high priest of our faith whom we confess. We fix our eyes on Him. And in fixing our eyes on Him and becoming like Him, we want to be apostolic people that cross boundaries, that help lay foundations, that make disciples, that help establish things that where it hasn't been happening. And, and we want to... Uh, you know, grab a hold of things maybe that have been lost from the past and pull those things with vigor into the church life so that we will be and have a fullness about us that's, you know, right on and what Jesus is calling us into. And one of the reasons we need this emphasis, you know, so much, one of the reasons we need the emphasis is that without it, people get an inaccurate picture of what Christianity is about, what our faith is about. And they look at it and they go, uh, okay, go to heaven when I die. That's, that's, uh, and then I go and sit and I sit in the class. You know, and is that, is that all there is to this? Is there, you know, and what I'm saying is, whoa, wait a minute, time out. There's so much more. There's an adventure that God is calling us into. There's crossing boundaries and the, the whole boredom thing. It's, uh, it looks boring. It's not boring following Jesus. Not when we really step into that. It's challenging. It's, it's mainly left untried. You know, it, it, so Chesterton's famous quote, you know, it's not that it's you know, been tried and found wanting, it's just people haven't been trying it. You know, so, so there's a, and, and, and even the quality of our experience as Christians, if we receive power from on high, what comes with that 
is fruit of the Holy Spirit being worked out in us. A, a kind of joy, a kind of peace, a kind of love. How about kindness? Just if we just were just game on in the Holy Spirit in kindness, how attractive would that be? You know, just it would just it just takes everything to the next level. That's this power on high. That's what this is all about. It's all of that that stuff. And so at the most basic level, people don't reject God because they accurately understand him. At the most basic level, they're not going, Yeah, I get it. I see Jesus, see the revelation of God and Jesus Christ. No. That's not what's happening. They're rejecting an inaccurate picture of God. And because we are the, the body of Christ, we're the neck down of Jesus, we're what people see of Jesus. So it's really important. We think a lot about this and go, Lord, help us, fill us, empower us to have a dynamic expression of who you are. That's why Jesus came. You know, it, when we get this, we move out of, you know, and that's, that's kind of Christianity, and we move into, you know, it's the great adventure. Saddle up your horses. <laughs> did ride some when I was a kid. It's been a while. But, uh, yeah, so the main thing, here's what I'm trying to say today. Following Jesus. When Jesus, Jesus crossed the boundary from heaven to earth, the main thing, in order to bring us into God's love and empower us to share that powerful love with others. So, we want to look first at who God is. And it's, I'm going to emphasize this in a bunch of different ways. But you guys, it is so important that we look at who God is before we try to figure out what God's doing. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said that years ago. What real famous martyr, he said, we have to know who God is before we try to figure out what God's doing because if we just go straight to the what God's doing, we'll take all of our assumptions, presuppositions, what our culture's like, you know, individualism, whatever of, of America, all that stuff, and we'll just kind of cram it in on this is the way God is. So you've you got to start with Jesus, who is the image of the invisible God, who is the revelation of God, who is the glory of God revealed in a man, You've got to start with Jesus who shows us what, who God is, number one. And the thing I want to emphasize here is that He is a relational God of love. You, know, you read through the Gospel of Luke, for that matter, you read through the other Gospels, all of them, and what you see is a dynamic relationship of love within the Godhead. You see... In, in, Arguably, this is something that people didn't get before Jesus came. They didn't understand this triune love thing that was happening within God. Now, Genesis 1.26 says, uh, there's, it's, it must have been confusing, you know, because it says, let us make man in our image. Plural, plural, plural. Let us make man in our image. And so, it's clear from even the very beginning and from creation and and you know, so many other places I could go to to, sh to show this, but God was always living. It's not a new revel. I mean, it's new for us, but God was always living in life-giving, divine love, shared mutually, corporately, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, in relationship. And I mean, if you go back even before creation, before creation, before there was sin to judge, and before there was wrath against sin, 
and God being upset with us for stumbling and falling, before any of that, God was game on love all the time. Wow. Before there was sin, God was loving the Son. The Father was loving the Son. The Son was loving the Father and the Spirit in the fullness of all of that. A few words might help to just express some of that. That divine love shared before eternity is marked, and you see it in the New Testament. It's a great study by full equality, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, by glad submission, by joyful intimacy, glad submission, joyful intimacy, and mutual deference, deferring to the other. I'm not acting on my own. I'm, I'm really being led by my Father. You know, and the Spirit's taking what is from Jesus and making it known to us. There's this dance-like thing that's happening there between the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. And what I'm emphasizing here is the relational God of love. Friends, brothers, sisters, we are made in the image of the relational God of love. We can't understand what we're supposed to be apart from looking at Jesus who reveals a relational God of love to us. It's absolutely huge. Let us make man in our image. A famous missionary named Dr. Leslie Newbigin spent like 30, 35 years in India, serves, lays down his life there, and he's from England. He goes back to England toward the end of his career, and he, he lands back in England, and he's surprised to see that in the West, basically the church, the way they're living, acting, worshiping, doing mission, it, it's all more Unitarian than Trinitarian. And that's, that's a big deal because there's so much that's lost about the relational piece. Again, it's important that we start with who God is before we try to figure out what do we do now. It's, so, it's like a big deal. Look into Jesus. If we don't think about what God is really like, we end up making assumptions based on culture and presuppositions and those kind of things. And here's, here's the illustration I'll use of that. In the West, individualism is gigantic. Wouldn't you just agree with me there that we think as individuals? It's a, it's a huge... Augustine, when he wrote Conf the Confessions, real famous work that shaped a lot of Western theology, like so many of his other writings said that people are separate selves with individual centers of consciousness. So there's something being said about who we are as people here, about being individuals. Boethius comes along in the 6th century. Just thinking hats just for a minute, and I'll, I'll move on from this. But, but Boethius comes along in the 6th century, a couple centuries later, and defines a person as an individual substance of a rational nature. An individual substance of a rational nature. That definition really stuck. Okay? The, again, the problem there is if we start with God, who's not individual, he's relational, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He's one. That love is so intense that it can only be called one, but he doesn't merge or submerge one into the other. They remain distinct as, as persons. One God, three persons. That makes sense. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And it's absolutely huge because, let's work this out. In the West, then, an I'm an individual. I make choices. I have free will. And I, my personhood is basically defined as me as an individual. But if we look to God, 
person, if we look to Jesus, we see personhood being defined as primarily relational. Now, and it got the, I, I've not really been a farmer, which is a joke in and of itself. <laughs> so I don't un- fully understand the cow at a new gate expression. But there's an expression. They say, looking at me like a cow looks at a new gate. And that's just not, <laughs> it's not working. Okay, so hang with me on this. So, uh, so it, it's hard for us to break out of the individualistic mode. I am an individual. This is my primary personhood identity to go to a place where I say, I want to be formed into the image of God where my primary personhood cannot be, de- cannot be described or cannot be defined apart from my relationships with other people. We look at individuals and we say, I'm an individual, and if I want to grow to maturity and some other stuff, I can add in these optional relationships. But what I'm saying is, what if, what if relationships were never meant to be optional at all? You know, I mean, a baby comes out totally dependent on people. Relationships turned toward people. People are happy to see that baby. And there's something just right on about, we are made for dependent relationships one to another and with the world around us. You know, I, I fight some of this in my own, uh, just, I mean, even the way our house is designed. Our, our house, anybody that's ever been over to our house, we've got one window in the front of the house. It's not designed for outward relationships. The garage door goes up and down. Front door's even kind of hidden back in. You know, I can kind of peek out. <laughs> you, know. <laughs> you know, and if I want to see what's going out on the street without opening the front door, I have to go way up to Emily's old room. And, <laughs> and so what, what I'm saying is even our house design stuff, you know, the birds just moved out of a neighborhood where every house had a front porch and it was designed, you know, I, what happened? We got more individualistic. In our thinking, so that this is something we're we're work, you know, uh, we're needing to think about and to confront and 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 wrestle with. I mean, the things that break down in our culture, I, a lot of it you can connect it to this idea that we're not primarily relational; we're primarily individualistic. Breakdown of families, marriages, relationships. Something doesn't work. I'm out of here. Instead of turning back toward, I turn away. And so it's primarily a godlike thing to keep turning toward in our relationships. To keep to keep turn, to work through stuff. To not just bail on marriage, kids, church, work, relationships. There's a there's a neighborhood in Austin. Um, I, I just read somewhere in the paper or something. Um, that they developed this whole neighborhood where everybody has front porches and they're trying to cultivate relational stuff happening. You know, and it's, it's, I don't think it had anything to do with God. You know, they weren't saying it was about God, but it was, it's from a God desire. That God desire down in there is for relationships. That I'm not going to be whole until... And this is, you guys, I feel like I need to say this because we've got extroverts in here and we've got introverts. And it's not a, this is not an extrovert, introvert thing. It's going to be expressed different ways, but even introverts were made for relationships. 
You know, extroverts might be more obnoxious about how they do it. <laughs> she said, Amen. Spoken like a true introvert. Okay, you know, so, um, so many of our basic struggles are like this misunderstanding, are connected to this misunderstanding of who God is, of the relational piece of who God is, the love piece of who God is. I read a great article this past week called, Why Do Siblings Fight? Why Siblings Fight? All right. <laughs> and, you know, it just depends on, uh, like, this is so weird. I'm just remembering my own brother, who's the city manager for San Marcos. I love him. I'm proud of him. He's a great leader. He really is. When we get together, what he rehearses is me pinning his arms down, thumping on his chest, and sticking socks in his mouth. You know, as if, like, that's all I did, right? You know, I'd, hey, come here. <laughs> I did it once or twice. Or six, whatever. Yeah. But uh, why, why don't siblings get along? Well, the guy who was writing the, the article said in his own life he just felt bad because he hurt his brother, you know, get in fights with him, and then he hurt his sister's heart, apologized to him years later, but he realized that it was because of a lack of sensing God's love in his own life. Why do, why do siblings fight? They want, they want to get something that can only be given by knowing that they're loved. You know, so they fight for supremacy or who's first and, you know, you know, and all that kind of stuff. So he's telling a story about his own kids. Uh, the younger one that I know about was seven years old. And uh, this one day he's being belligerent and just wouldn't get along and just was rah, and all worked up and everything. And, and uh, his, his dad said, look, hey, bud, go to your room until you can come out. You, you come out and you can act normal and all that, then, but don't come out till then. So after a little while, he came out with a smile on his face. And he asked him, what did you do to change? And so he brought his dad into the bedroom, and he had written out a real nice note that said, I love you. His brother shared, he shared a room with his brother. I love you, and put it up on his end table. And it changed his own heart, right? And I thought, man, that's a great picture of what God wants us to do, being relational people, to be like a, a I love you note that, that rubs up against people that desperately need some kind of vision for relationships and for that longing that's in their hearts. It's good stuff. So the first piece there, Jesus shows us who God is, the relational God of love. Second piece, He crosses all worlds and He comes to show us what God does. Jesus shows us what God does. And what God does is He crosses boundaries in order to reach people. And that's just the that's just the blow away, you know, that Jesus comes when we could do nothing. The, the Acts 1-8 thing that we're going to be challenged with, you know, you're going to be my witnesses. You're going to go tell what you've seen of me into the world. Well, that, that, that challenge takes on shape in our hearts and lives because he's done that for us. He crossed the boundary and he calls us to join him. As the Father sent me, I'm sending you. That's what he told the disciples in the Gospel of John, chapter 20. Verse 21, as the Father sent me, I'm sending you. And, and it is, it's just the story of God. All through the Scriptures, it's the story of God. Creation. It's God reaching out, crossing boundaries, you know, to make something that didn't exist. The fall. Reaching out to Adam and Eve in the midst of their sin. You know, the, just uh, 
the, the reaching out to Noah, reaching out to Abram, this, taking this pagan guy, and you know, we think of him as like really spiritual guy, he's a pagan, idol-worshiping guy, and he takes this guy, this no-name guy, and he says, I want to bless you. I want to bless your family, and through you, I want you to bless all the people of the earth. You know, and that's God. He's that boundary crossing, you know, the people of Israel, just in grace, God comes to us. I mean, even the thing with Abram, 430 years before there was law, he comes and makes the covenant promise to Abram. That's good news. That's good news. Especially for all the us performance people that think, if I can just work this deal out just right, then I can please God. And God comes to us in covenant and in grace. And he wants us to do things. He wants us to be responsive. There are, there's like consequences of not living in his life and way and grace. It hurts us. But we're not doing it to like do our end of the bargain so that God will do his. He's already made the promise. That's the difference between covenant and a contract. Contract, two parties have to fulfill obligations in order for this thing to be done. Covenant, God comes and makes a promise. Isn't that great news? Praise God. So Jesus comes, and it's crossing boundaries again, crossing the boundaries, crossing the boundaries. It's God coming, calling us to join him in this whole thing. It seems like there's tension in it at times. I'll describe a tension point. Is the, the, there's the pilgrim side of the gospel. And the pilgrim side, the pilgrim part of the gospel, it comes to us and it's like, whoa, what is this? I did not think it was going to be like this. I didn't think it was going to be this good, this incredible, this wonderful. I didn't know. Thank you for coming to me with this good news. That's the pilgrim side of it. It just breaks into our world. It's like, wow. And then there's the indigenous part of the gospel where it comes to us and there's just been stuff stirring in us. God, it's stuff that God made us to do and, and we just resonate with it. You know, and it seems like there's tension, but it's not. It's both and, you know. And so, you know, when we cross boundaries, sometimes it's just like a blow away to somebody. And then sometimes we go into their world and we go, wow, you see something about Jesus that I really need to see. I needed to see what's been stirring in your heart this whole time. God's been working this deal in who you are in the image of God. And the gospel comes, it ignites it, and you see community. You see relationships. You see a village that has all of the openings of the doors pointed toward each other. You wouldn't think of making major decisions apart from your relational community. I would. Yeah, I don't know that that's all, you know, that's that's a a needs-to-be-redeemed thing. You know, we've been growing in that grace over, over years, right? It's overcoming... You know, every culture has their own challenges. But what I'm, what I'm trying to say is, this is normal. This is normative for us to cross boundaries, to share good news. We're not just taking our word to somebody else. It, it's, it's the word of God, and then it gets, it, it gets more fullness as we go. A great example would be the Jews understood Messiah was coming and that he would be the king of the Jews, right? They had that. They got that. They missed him when, you know, some missed him, some saw him. But they understood that Messiah was going to be the king of the Jews. And it wasn't until the gospel crosses the boundary and goes over here to the Gentiles, goes to the Romans, 
who have an emperor who's over all kinds of nations that they start calling Jesus Lord, Kyrios. He is the Lord of all. He is not only the king, he's the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And so they get a fuller understanding as they cross the boundary, the border. You know, and that's why, I mean, that's another reason why, you guys, um, we want to be a boundary-crossing church. We want to cross boundaries, whether it's here in the city. And, I mean, even in the city, we want the church to look like the kind of diversity that we see in our city. And we're growing in that, but we want to keep growing in that because this is what God's like. This is what God's like. This is what God's doing. He's bringing us into relationship with people that are different from us they see different parts of the Lord than what we see. If we could get this into our hearts, man, I mean, it would, it would, it would rock the city and it would rock the world. When I was in 1996, I was, uh, did my first uh, overseas trip. And I went to Ethiopia and I was hanging out <clears throat> with uh, the leaders of the church there at the time. They were all in their 20s because the older guys weren't alive. All their parents and stuff, they were mainly orphans. Their parents had been killed under the reign of the dictator, Idi Amin. And so I go there, and one of the words the, guy, the brother had that invited me was Erdard Mikasa. Um, he, said, he said, Jamie, the Lord wants to expose you to something. He didn't, it wasn't the same language, but it's the same idea that I'm talking about here. And I mean, you know, I'm going to try to minister to these guys. I'm whatever I am at the time, I don't know if I can do the math, uh, 33. And, uh, and uh, so I, I go over there and I'm trying to minister and stuff, but everywhere I go, I'm being blown away by them. You know, I, when I went to the prayer meeting, the prayer meeting was uh, every Friday night, 10 p.m. to 6 a.m. Every single Friday night. Just, it wasn't like a, hey, the... Americans are coming, let's put on a deal, you know. And I, and I went in there, prayed, and the sharpening part is I prayed about as long as I could, went an hour and a half, prayed grandmother, uh, all future possibilities that I could conceive of in the world and things that needed a global peace and everything. And, and just, you know, I'm done, right? And I get just swept along. I just get down beside one of the intercessors there. He Literally, the church paid him some little bit to be a full-time intercessor. And I got down, he had a hold of a bench and was praying like this, intense, you know. And I, so I got down and just prayed with him. And I watched for the first time, I, was, I remembered watching these two women. I just happened to be standing there. There's a hundred people in a lean-to deal, it just had a roof, and it was in a swamp. So it's it kind of spongy because they built it up with trash and stuff, dirt and stuff, to not be down in the swamp. They kept trying to serve me tea that they were getting from the water that ran in the little ditch through the swamp, and I wasn't mainly drinking it. And, uh, but I, I remember watching these two women, and I'd never seen anything like this. We're in a prayer meeting. Presence of God. I mean, the presence of God. It's, it's a roar. hundred people, and it's... Rah! I literally ran out of the taxi cab to get in there. These two women came in. I, I li literally watched them. They walked to the front edge of the, the threshold of the door, walked through and fell down and started flopping on the ground, yelling out and screaming, ah! Ah! And I'd never, that was outside of my experience here. But it was sharpening. It was like, okay, the devil's real. 
And the interesting thing was, they didn't stop the prayer meeting. They didn't let the devil stop the prayer meeting. They, now, they ministered to him a little bit and carried him over, and some women went and prayed for him and stuff. But they didn't, it didn't, I said, well, is that normal? He goes, we are not letting the devil stop a prayer meeting here. Okay, lesson, sharpening, learning, growing, you know, what God does. Crosses borders, and then in the crossing of the border, the boundary, beauty, fullness, greater grace, greater measure of Jesus being seen. You know, why would we not want to do this? (laughs) Why would we not want to do this? So what that means, here's a, a couple of practical things, and we'll wrap this up. A couple of practicals here. First of all, we are, called, we are called to live life in loving, relational community. To live life in loving, relational community. Because, why? Because that's what God is like. That's, that's the reason. It's not, I'm not just coming up like, hey, we need to do church and... Y'all need to get in on this deal. We do this because that's what God is like. And so, living life that way in a culture where it's, it's profoundly, deeply embedded, our individualism. It, it, you can't go with the flow and do this. Now, you may long for it, and people long for it all over the place, but you can't go with the flow and do that. And so, there has to be Intentional choices made. You know, if I have to break outside of my house and the one window and the door and all that, I have to break out of that in order to be intentional with people, to, be, to live life in intentional, loving, relating community. And I have to make choices. There's things that I can't do. Everything my culture is saying I need to I can't have that mindset, you know, and walk into a greater living out of what God's like in our midst. So that's, that's huge. And it means that, that uh, you know, just like, I think I, I said this, but, you know, so much of the breakdown is, you know, whether it's families or divorce or marriages or all these different things, because we haven't been conditioned toward relational living it just is so easy to walk away. And I'm saying instead of walking away, turning toward just that we are going to be people we're going to turn toward. And when stuff comes up, we're going to turn toward. And, and even if it's hard, we're going, to, we're going to work it out. You know, we're not just, that was hard, I'm out of here. And I'm not just saying that, just, it's not just about CF or, it's like, this is good for your soul. It's good for us as people. It's, the, it's being the church, it's being the people of God together is that we turn toward one another and we don't, we don't run. Okay? So, uh, life will give you opportunities to walk this out. Not trying to prophesy negative stuff. Uh, Just, there's good stuff that happens in life, and there are trials. The longer you live, the more you know that. Hard stuff. And you know what? If you're going to wait until the trials all stop to do some of the, just, actually, part of this is how God's using us to grow up, getting us to grow up by turning toward one another in the midst of even people that love us a ton. So, big smile. I'm happy. I'm not upset. Just trying to encourage everybody. Okay? So that's number one. We're called to live in loving relational community. Second piece. We're called to cross boundaries with the good news of Jesus Christ. Why? Because not only is that what God's like, that's what God 
is doing. And it looks lots of different ways. Um, there's, there's lots of different... Can I just say that crossing boundaries, it's not going to be... Uh, it could be you carrying a tract and literally walking through a tract with somebody. But it doesn't have to be that. Because not everybody has all the same gifts in the body. And one of the tendencies is for somebody that has a strong certain kind of gift is to look at everybody else and go, you need to do my, my deal in my way. And uh, I remember early on, some, I've gone through painful stuff, having a calling as a church planner, starting to look around at everybody and go, you, you could be a church planner. You, you're organic matter and you breathe. <laughs> Therefore, you know, and the, the other side of that is there's some hurt and pain and not everybody's called to do that. And there's different ways that we express this, this beauty of what God's you know, wanting us to do in crossing boundaries with the good news of Jesus. Let me just hit on one thing. Guys, we need to work at, uh, you think I'm going to say something heavy, being friends. At friendship. Because the world, this individualistic mindset, they're, they're not coming off of the, at least, at least we've got the paradigm of looking at Jesus and He reveals the relational God of love. That's our goal. That's who we're following but the world doesn't necessarily do There's that longing in their hearts. But then how do we... You know, one of the main ways we're going to bring people in is by bringing them into something that's like friendship and love. Having something that's real to bring them into. Does that make sense? You know, you can just kind of preach the message and do some words at people, but if you bring them into the reality, it rocks their world. I've never seen anything like that. That's why Jesus said, the main thing you can do to show people what I'm like is love each other. That, that's, that, every, that goes above every single other thing we could get into a conversation about. That's what He's calling us to, is to be that kind of people. So the third thing then, is that we're called to believe that God will express His power through us. And there's a couple of dynamics here that I, in, in receiving power, part of it's active and part of it's passive. The active part is we were just singing, we wait for you to come, you know, and we're reaching out to God, you know, just that's awesome, man. Just, just, yes, God, and we're pressing in and we want the fullness of His Spirit in our lives. We want all that He has for us. We want, we want Lord, do everything. I submit my will to you. I submit my, you can have it all, all that stuff. You know, you just do it, Lord. There's that active part. And then there's the passive part that's like, hey, you're a branch. Jesus is a vine. And I can't put a lot of handles on that. You know, abiding. You know, what's a branch doesn't, you know, just going to do a couple of little grapes today. You know, I, it just, it's totally in the flow of being connected to the vine. So there's an active, passive, it's a, there's a, a being and a doing. You know, it's who I am, my identity, God's power in me, and my responsiveness to what God's saying. You know, that leads me deeper. This, this, uh, it's like, it's like a helix, you know, of growth that leads me deeper and deeper into His presence and life, as I'm abiding and as I'm responding, and obeying, and. You know, I'm, uh, there's negative things on obedience. Please, I mean, just let's get past that. Jesus was the most obedient person ever and had the most spiritual authority of any person ever. 
He obeyed his father in everything constantly, all the time, without any kind of hesitation. I only do what I see my father doing. I do nothing of my own initiative. If anybody could do something of his own initiative, it would be Jesus. And yet, this is that relational, powerful, wonderful, and so we say, Jesus, come, fill us up. Holy Spirit, come. We want the power from on high in our lives. Now, yes, it's been poured out. But you know what? There's fillings that happen again. And if, just, if you're weary, burdened, need like a fresh touch from... Man, what a great, great example. Hudson Taylor was a missionary, started the China Inland Mission, real famous guy in the 1800s. And uh, first, there were some missionaries on the China coast, but he wanted to go inland. So he goes inland, and he does radical stuff. He's an English guy, cuts his hair, shaves his head, leaves the queue in the back, the long ponytail, you know, wears the Chinese dress and everything in order to connect with people. You know, so he's crossing boundaries. He's, doing st- he's really doing some stuff right. The, the mission is growing like crazy. People are coming to know the Lord, that kind of thing. But nine years into this, he's dying. He's burned out. He's whipped. He's feeling temptations like crazy. He wants to just, I don't know if I can keep going. And so one, somebody sends him a letter, and it's about pointing him to being filled with the power and the presence and the life of God and to trust in what God's done for him through Jesus Christ and the pouring out of the Spirit. And it was in that... Uh, he ended up calling it the exchanged life, that he laid down his life and received the Lord's life. And, you know, I think one of the key verses for him was Galatians 2.20. I've been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live. There's the passive part. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I live in the flesh, in the body, I live by faith. So there's, the, there's, the, there's an active part, too. Uh, I'm living by faith in the faithfulness of what Jesus has done in, for, through all of us. So that's where his, his faith is. One, one last story. We'll wrap this up. There's a, another missionary. He was an Indian guy. His name is Sadhu Sundar Singh. And he had a great illustration, I thought, of putting an iron in a fire. And so you got the iron, you got the fire. Two different things. They don't merge into one and become one thing, but the fire really does get in the iron. After a little while, you leave it on there, and the, fi- the iron becomes bright red, and it's able to be molded and bended and, you know, whatever the stuff that, that a blacksmith does. But uh, that's what's supposed to be happening in our lives, where we step into the reality of who God is and allow our lives then to just be so heated up in His presence that He can actually use us and do things that would bring Him honor and glory. And one of those things, that power comes for crossing boundaries. And we're going to be talking about that in the course of this, these next few weeks. I'm excited about it.